This is episode 197. Did you know that in medical journals, at least 50% of the research that is contributed is never used, which means there is an extensive database of information that is never considered as part of the decision-making process of the way we say feed a nation or which nutrition we should make available for a particular group of people or how to direct anybody how to live their life day to day. And of course, whether everyone should be forced against their will to have a vaccine. If you're someone that has felt uncomfortable with the amount of one-sided information you've received over the last few years, then this podcast is going to be a breath of fresh air. And no, we don't swing all the way to singing Kumbaya and doing urine cleansers. (laughs) We discuss the nature of scientific research and how the media manipulates the delivery of that, along with the lack of context over the last few years. And most importantly, how you can contribute to making sure we're never taken advantage of or misled like that again. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to do that shit again. (laughs) All right, let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? In 2022, it's my mission to coach 300 people to get control of their emotional eating so they can lose weight and actually keep it off without counting calories or eating rabbit food. Now, not too long ago, I was lucky enough to be interviewed on the Live Damn Well podcast. It was a blast and we covered some great topics from social determinants of health through to behavior change, psychology and nutrition. And today we're doing a bit of role reversal where the host of the Live Damn Well show is here with me today. I want you to meet Jorge Roman, whom is not only a podcast host, but also the author of the book, Return to Human, of which he shares his own personal journey of battling depression, anxiety, insomnia, and food sensitivities, until the moment he decided enough was enough. His book and podcast were born of hundreds of hours of research and being fed up and sick of the conflicting health information, which was useless at best and harmful at worst. He then became a health coach who's passionate about finding practical solutions to real-world health problems in this universe plagued by catchy headlines, clickbait, and half-truths. And don't we know that to be true after the last few years? Welcome to the podcast, Jorge. How are you doing? Thank you so much, man. That was the best intro I've heard of myself, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> People often say that. I don't know what I do to intros, but um, I'm taking it. Thanks, man. <laughs> that was great. Thank you. <laughs> Um, and just for, I just want to clarify because I made this mistake in the early uh, phases of us catching up is for everybody that listens to this podcast and sees your name and says, George, it's the Mexican Spanish enunciation Jorge, correct? That's right. That's right. All right. Yes. Good. We've got it right this time. <laughs> we got it. You got it right, Maddie. <laughs> um, so tell me, man, what motivated you to write a book, Return to Human? Like what what did you uncover in your health journey? in your study, that type of thing that was like, we need to get back to being human. And what is human? Yeah, man. So, I mean, in a few words, it was the book saved me. It, it, it was, I didn't know what return to human meant when I first started writing the book, right? And it, yeah. to really kind of paint the picture of where I was at with my own health and what, why I said that it saved me, which is not really an exaggeration, it's totally the truth, is 
I, for the first time ever, I was, you know, I was 19 heading into my sophomore year of college and I've been a swimmer for a long time competitively. And so it was time to get my sports physical done. You know, I talk about that in the book. And so, you know, I was there, they were asking the regular questions, you know, that they ask you about drugs, about alcohol, about sex and all that stuff. And then they asked a question that, you know, I'd always heard, but I'd never really given it a second thought until that moment something clicked inside me. I don't know if I had just buried it away, but they asked any thoughts of suicide. And at that moment, I choked up and I, I couldn't even answer the question because for the first time I wanted to blurt out yes. And that scared the shit out of me. And it yeah. scared my doctor, right? Because my doctor was like, like she'd known me since I was little. It was my pediatrician. So she had no idea what was happening, right? And so, you know, long story short, um, got back to school and that was the, one of the toughest years of my life mentally. That was, um, you know, with, with COVID starting up in that year, it was made even worse. It was exacerbated by all the stuff that was happening in the world, all the uncertainty and the stress. And so I basically went into this state of, um, basically pure anger and hatred and all of the really you know, negative emotions started kind of exploding out of me. And so part of what happened was I was very, very dogmatic. At that point, I had just started looking into like, like, quote unquote, natural health, ancestral health, that sort of stuff. You know, before that, it was all like, you know, Western medicine is the best, like, you know, I didn't really give it a second thought, to be honest. And then at that moment, when COVID hit, something about it just kind of honestly kind of sparked like the conspiracy side of me for the worst. Like I will admit that it was bad. And, but what I will say is that I, I don't think it was because I actually believed them. What was happening and I, I go more in depth in the book was, you know, I, in a twisted sense, and it's not like I thought about this consciously, but I really didn't want people around me to love me anymore because in my head, it was like, okay, if they still love me, I can't take my own life because I was so depressed that that was the way out for me. And it was the first time I'd ever thought about that. But in that, in, in that year or two, it was like, that's the solution. I, that's how I stopped feeling pain. That's how I escape this life. I don't think it's meaningful anymore. You know, all of that kind of, that kind of stuff. And so for me, it was like, all right, how can I push these people away so much that, I can do what I wanted to do. And so at the end of the day, they, there were some people that I, that I totally pushed away and I, you know, destroyed some friendships with that. But there were those few people, friends and family who stayed around and were always supported me. And at that point I said, I can't do it. I cannot take this decision because I will leave a permanent hole in the fabric of their lives for as long as they live. And I could not fathom being the cause of so much suffering in a world which was already suffering. And so at that point, I made a commitment to myself. There's no going back. I'm going full force and I know what will happen. I know where, I, where I've been. I was just about to take my life. So if I don't take action, I'm going to get there again. So it was all about action for me. It was like, okay, let me listen to literally everyone. I would listen to, you know, the more of the quacks. I would listen to the conventional medicine advocates. I listened to everyone because I was so desperate, right? And so... This book came from a realization of my own depression and, you know, the ultimate solution for me was listen to everyone because everyone's got a little bit of truth in them, right? All of the experts have something, right? 
all of them, even if it's just a tiny little glimpse, a sentence that they said, something has to be true about what everyone is saying. We just have to be patient enough and open enough to, to listen to it. And so for me, it was like, wow, I need to write about this because this saved my life. And this could save the lives of so many other people, especially during COVID, right? When we were told that we couldn't do anything about our health, we were disempowered about our own capability of healing ourselves and making ourselves resilient. And so it was like, okay, I need to go to town. I need to write this book because otherwise this information is going to get lost just with me and I can't have that happen. Yeah. First, man, I just want to acknowledge you for being so open and vulnerable and sharing that that story with us. It's really appreciated. And um, I probably wasn't too far behind you during those couple of years. And here, I mean, in Melbourne being the most locked down city in the world during that that phase, like I had family right. members commit suicide, um, you know, and, and I at one point, I knew more people that had killed themselves than had COVID, which was one of the reasons I was very much also looking into we need to listen to other other opinions because I actually don't know anyone that's got COVID and it's like 18 months into a pandemic. <laughs> um, and the whole first year that I worked in, in, in the hospital of that pandemic, none of the doctors that I worked with and myself had come across a patient with it. And I was like, we, we're in Melbourne's biggest hospital. <laughs> Why right. don't we know anybody with COVID? And that's, you know, kind of led me to be super confused. It's like, why do I know more people that have taken their own life because of this situation than has COVID? And there's so many questions that come up. But I love what you shared yeah. just there about listening to the quacks because I find it interesting because the definition of a quack is that they believe themselves. So by definition, literally all of us are quacks. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that was the definition. Yeah, it's like that you, it's, I mean, I'm paraphrasing the dictionary definition, but um, right. yeah, it's basically that you believe your own version of reality. So it's, it's literally like everyone is a quack. That's everyone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, why do you think countries, particularly Western world privileged countries, and I often think about this sometimes when I'm, you know, in the throes of my own depressive mind or, or trying to navigate my own thoughts, but like, Depression, anxiety, suicide are much higher in privileged countries. Um, and I know yourself, like, you know, having a background from Latin America, it's a more difficult life, generally speaking. And like, I've got um, people that work as part of the podcast and the business that are from the Philippines. And we've had, I've had conversations with them about, you know, the fact that, you know, Western privileged countries have this tendency towards depression, whereas these other countries that struggle, that life is actually really tough for in comparison, seem to have lower numbers. Based on you know, your own journey compared with all of the literature and information you've consumed, why do you think we have that like, affliction to move in that direction? Yeah, well, I mean, a few things pop in my head. Um, one of them would be faith. So I think, well, faith and community, basically. Um, you know, I, I'll talk about the latter one more just because I'm not really a religious person, but, you know, we can kind of get into that more later if need be. But the community aspect, I think, is really important because, you know, being in, having grown up basically in the States, but also having been to, you know, like kindergarten in Mexico and, you know, having a lot of family there and visiting and, you know, being in Costa Rica and, you know, seeing what life is like here. Um, it's given me a lot of different perspectives. People here are really happy. Like people here are, are 
especially now with the gas prices rising, food prices rising, they're still happy. They're joking all the time. And then I look and see their houses and they're like these tiny houses built up with these like, um, you know, like metal, metal kind of shacks with like rusty, you know, material. And it's like, wow, this is, this is freaking me out. This is something, you know, what can we learn from these people that we don't have in the States? Um, and so for me growing up in the States, it was like, it was very much like a popularity contest, like always. And that was weird to me because all I wanted, you know, growing up in, in Latin America, it was, it was different. And, you know, my parents were very warm and like, it's usually very, you know, like if you go to Mexico, people will greet you with a hug and a kiss on the cheek. Right. It's not like this, like firm handshake of like, you know, robotic thing that people do in the States. Right. (laughs) Um, and so that's what I grew up with and that was totally lost. And in a sense, I did kind of feel that missing as I was growing up is the sense of community. Um, and you know, this is one of the, you know, we talked about this on my podcast. This is one of the major uh, components of a blue zone right? It's like these longevity hotspots. I mean, I'm right next to Nicoya right now, which is one of the blue zones, right? And so I see that here. I see the community is is strong. And of course, you know, you'll have your disagreements and every now and then, but like in general, people are just kind of click and they they basically depend on each other for food. They depend on each other for transportation. Um, it's such a different culture. And I think community, not just because of the indirect health benefits, but because of the direct health benefits. If you feel like you're supported by your community, you're going to feel safer. You're probably going to feel more gratitude. And you're going to feel less of the stress-fear response that we got blasted at us by the media during COVID, right? And so you're going to be basically more resilient to stress because you know that if something happens in the world, if something happens inside you with your health, you have this community that you can fall back on. And I really, it's often very fake in the States is what I've noticed. Yeah, that's, I, I would totally agree. And I think too, like for myself growing up, you know, my entire life in a very privileged, wealthy, luxury kind of country compared to much of the world. You know, you never want to be seen as the person that's complaining. And when suffering happens, you know, share it with as few people as possible because you don't want to be that guy that doesn't have his shit together type thing. And, <laughs> yeah. and and through the pandemic, I mean, for you know, I live in my own place by myself. That you, that's, you're kind of relegated to that situation anyway, whilst the world is basically you know, perceptually burning around, uh, around you or burning down around you. And so I think, yeah, I agree that, yeah, that community aspect definitely has a big part to play. Um, and I think another part possibly, and let me know if you agree or disagree, but is the fact that there's almost no time in the, in some of those communities for sadness or struggle. Cause it's like, if you sleep today, you might be starving tomorrow. So it's like, or if you sit down and think about your feelings today, yeah, you you don't have a choice. You'll be gone, basically. You won't yes. have an option of suicide because homicide will happen <laughs> type thing, you know? And so, and, and, and that's what I've talked to some of my staff about too. And it's like, yeah, like if we, if we have a day or a week out of action or on stress leave, like nobody's eating. The whole family isn't eating um, type thing. Whereas we've got the, the luxury that in these countries like the, you know, both of you and I live in that we can kind of nurture ourselves, but there's, it's a fine line, right? Between nurture and enabling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you know, and I see that, you know, the first part of what you said really resonated with me, which is that, um, you know, if you, you have no time for that kind of stuff that we have in the U S right. And so Mm -hmm. my, my, um, one of my friends here, um, has worked with people who, um, 
who deal with addiction. And so he did that for a really long time. And so one of the things that he knew that actually helped in, you know, in the field of, of, of being a social worker that actually helped was taking these recovering addicts to work on a farm. And so that tells us a lot, right? Because what is farm life like? Well, you can't just like refresh and have this feed pop up with likes, right? You wait for, you know, you do, you know, you do what you can do day by day. And so the dopamine drips are very small. And so you learn to kind of go day by day and, you know, love the process rather than just waiting for instant gratification and basically being a compulsive dopamine slave in a sense, right? It's like you really become uh, patient and you become more grateful because, oh, all this hard work that I put in, now I'm getting to the harvest. Now I can, you know, I can harvest my, the, my beans and the rice and the bananas and the plantains because I put in so much work and this feels so good now. And I feel so grateful that I have this food that I, I, I grew myself basically. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of, um, Johan Hari. He, he's done a few Ted talks. He's got a few books on depression and I've got the book here, lost connections. Um, and he says the opposite to addiction is connection. Like the way to solve addiction is that, yeah, addicts feel disconnected from their reality, from their community, from themselves. And so they're seeking this euphoric experience of connection to self, God, you know, whoever it might be. And that the, yeah, the way to solve addiction is connection. And I think that that kind of farm work is probably one connection, but in maybe not a human way per se, but a connection to the land and to our ancestral evolution of, of being human. And, and of course, you know, re-regulating those dopamine pathways. Of course, into the food, into our circadian rhythms, into the seasons, yeah. like everything, right? Yeah, which is basically, you know, the, the handbook for natural health, right? <laughs> it's of like <laughs> circadian rhythms, um, good sleep, connection to the earth, good healthy food, you know, yeah. it's the whole package. Yeah, it is, <laughs> it is, it is. Yeah, my dream, as I, I kind of alluded to in my book, is to buy a few goats and chicken and live in the countryside. You know, when I retire, that's kind of my dream. Yeah, actually, on my goals list in life um, is to own a regenerative farm one day so that um, I, I might do a little bit of work on it, but I'm hoping then I can uh, get a few people in to help. But, um, but yeah, that's my yeah. goal too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. So throughout your book, I was really impressed by the fact that I guess you and I went on a really similar journey in the sense that you know we sort of uncovered... We believed one thing really passionately and, and maybe not passionately, but naively or without question in the beginning um, and then came to this place where we were like, oh, hang on, natural health has got a lot to offer. Um, and then I think both you and I swung all the way to pharmaceutical drugs and medicine is evil and natural health and the way that we lived in tribes is the only way forward. Um, and, yes. and then I think you present in the book a really nice sort of um, – sort of natural in-between, a really healthy in-between. Um, and I've got, a, I've got a quote here that I copied from your book that I wanted to share because I think it exemplifies it really well. So I want to read it, which is, I thought the solution to all our health problems was either one of two things, found in the de one found in the depths of PubMed, a hidden gold mine of dusty old scientific papers just waiting to be found, or two, to reclaim our health by living exactly like our ancestors, relinquish all worldly belongings, buy a few goats and chickens and live in the countryside. You know, the typical, typical naturalistic fallacy, which argues that if something exists in nature, it must be good for you and that all modern things are bad. How did you arrive through 
that journey at where you are now and, and why, why the swing from medicine to natural to somewhere in the middle? Yeah, man. Well, honestly, it was because it was kind of destroying my life. I, again, I was, I was really, really um, knees deep in the naturalistic fallacy of like, we need to go and, you know, make tribes again and we need to grow our own food and be hunter gatherers and no light and, you know, no electricity, all this stuff. Right. And it was really, it was really damaging a lot of my relationships and my friendships. And I saw that happening and I was like, like, hold on a second. I don't actually fully know this to be a hundred percent true. What's going on inside me that makes this feel like it's true? Because mm-hmm. I felt with, you know, I, I felt like I was, I was right about everything to do with COVID. I thought the vaccines were terrible. And I thought, you know, that was like me in the really dogmatic shoes of modern medicine is bad. Right. And so mm-hmm. at that point it was like, wait a second, I haven't actually gone through and looked at the studies yet. Like I, you know, this isn't, this isn't right. And so that's where I kind of, you know, pendulum swing back to the middle a little bit because I was like, like, hold on, if I'm going to say these things, I need to be sure that they're true. And, you know, not just that, it's, I'm, I'm really doing myself a disservice. I'm doing my my friends a disservice and my family because they think I'm crazy and I think they're crazy. So, you know, this is a good way for me to figure out who's crazy. No, it's a, you know, it's, it's a good way for me to figure out what was going on. And so that's where I kind of started to, I really dug deep into the literature. Um, and I went, you know, I went into PubMed and I searched up everything that was said on either CNN or Fox news or wherever I read it from, I would go through, look for the source and read it and see if it was true. And I did that with anything. I would listen to a podcast. A lot of people, you know, on the more conventional side of like health, they, they're like, oh yeah, all these like health gurus just listening to podcasts and think that they're authorities. And I was like, you know, I was kind of hurt by that because I was probably one of those health gurus in the beginning, right? Or I thought myself as one of those, but then I was like, no, they're right. How can you trust someone that just says something? You need to go yeah. in and look at it for yourself and decide, Mm, hold on a second. These methods are kind of shady or hold on a second. You know, yeah, this is a natural supplement company study, but they funded it. So there's still something shady going on with that. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I started to see that it's not that black and white, right? It's not, you know, ancestral health versus modern medicine. It's let's actually look at what the evidence says, but, you know, going beyond that, when I say the evidence, a lot of people get stuck with like what I call the science, right? And so the science is basically whatever you think it is. And so a lot of people use it to back up their claims, even though they have no real understanding of what the science really says. And so that was me at the beginning. It was me kind of being like, oh, it's just that's what the science says. You know, the science says that. And so I heard that also on the other side of the spectrum where it's like, no, you know, you this is a deadly thing and you need to bleach your groceries and you need to put four masks on. Otherwise, you're going to die. That's the science. Listen to the science, bro. And I was like, no, no way. And so I actually went in, looked at the study on masks, looked at the study on how uh, transmissible COVID is and, you know, via which mechanisms it's transmissible. Is it droplets? Is it, you know, um, you know, is it more of like the smaller kind of aerosol? And so I looked into all that stuff firsthand. I wanted the primary source. And so that's where I started to learn, hold on, there's a total disconnect between science and what we actually get from the media. And I'm not so sure that all of it is malicious. I think just, you know, media outlets just want views. And so they make it as dramatic as possible and they don't understand science. So they just kind of say what they want to say. So it gets them views and it, you know, makes their political side look good basically so that's what happened with covid and so 
Um, so yeah, I mean, long story short, I just really started to notice that I wasn't being honest with myself. And so for me to start being honest with myself, it was, okay, I need to start going in and checking this thing out for myself. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing. And I really want to commend you on your confidence in putting this content in the book, because I think one of the issues we're facing is that a lot of irrelevant of your modality of profession with health, whether it be naturopaths or doctors or TCM people or energy medicine healers, too, too many people are scared to speak about what they believe the truth to be or their interpretation of the last few years. Um, and I think that's a problem because then we've got this bias of the only people are allowed to speak. And I say this as a deplatformed Instagrammer. <laughs> um, I, you know, the only people that are allowed to speak have one narrative or one perspective. Um, and it's and I think it's it correlates even... So I was down this wormhole for the last 10 years of like, you know, figuring out um, the difference between what is true and what isn't true. And what I discovered hanging out in PubMed and places like that is that actually in the natural health world and with food and, and nutrition um, and a lot of TCM and acupuncture, there's actually loads of clinical trials. There's actually loads of evidence that sit in the depths of these uh, medical journals. And so when you come out and say these things, you know, about natural health, people are like, oh, you know, that's all woo-woo. And it's like, actually, the only studies that we hear about or that are, are utilized are usually ones that pharmaceutical companies can it's in some way profit from and some of the other supplement companies can profit from them but the point is that the same thing happens with COVID um, is that there's tons of studies that show both sides of the conversation inefficacy of vaccines um, very low transmissibility rates but again this doesn't fit the public narrative it's not that there's not uh, evidence to be look like, looked at and considered and this is the big issue right is that we're not looking at all of this evidence in a balanced perspective and more importantly, a contextual uh, perspective because the health of a 17-year-old athlete <laughs> is different to a 77-year-old person in a, in a home, right? So um, I guess all that to come, come around to the point is that like, what do you think it has been going on that forces us to believe one narrative or to hear one narrative? And why do you think the other side is so, um, you know, judged as, as quackery, as ridiculousness when actually there's clinical trials there? Yeah, well, I think part of it is our kind of need to fit into a tribe and have this basically us versus them mentality. I mean, I feel like this has been going on for all of human history where we're really, we pit one side against the other. And I mean, you know, if you think about it, I'm not really to throw religions on the uh, religions under the bus, but kind of to throw religions under the bus. It's that's <laughs> been like the major wars that have happened historically have been due to religion, right? And like yeah. persecution and like you know mass murder. It's all been religion and it's all belief. It's all yeah. things that can't really be proved um, in a sense, right? And so, um, and yeah, for me, you know, something that you said earlier, um, I never saw myself as like conservative. But, you know, you said like, yeah, a lot of these media outlets are just kind of giving us this one narrative. And I never saw myself as a conservative, but this was the first time that I was like, like, hold on, why are, why is Fox News getting like all this crap about them being conspiracy theorists now? Like, I think like some of this should be investigated and some of it could be valid. And, and like, I actually went in and I, you know, I looked into the studies on like, okay, is this made in a lab? Is this not made in a lab? And like, I started looking into the studies and like, 
this is legitimate scientific debate. Like within the, if you go into like, you know, major journals, they're actually debating this. It's not like, you know, CNN versus Fox News that aren't debating it, but they're just kind of calling each other names. They're actually <laughs> like considering it a possibility. And so I think that is real science. Real science is the ability to actually um, question things that seem to be true. And actually, you know, being very rigorous with that. That's real science. What the media has made us think real science is, is whatever you basically want to believe in what makes you feel good. And that's not science. That's just belief. Um, and I would say that, you know, what happened to me, to answer your question, what happened to me was that it was basically an external manifestation of what was going on inside me. Um, so it wasn't that I actually truly believed, you know, that... Um, that, you know, vaccines are all bad and modern medicine is terrible. It was just that I was so in a place of so much hurt and I was so depressed and, you know, I, I felt like the world sucked <laughs> that in a sense that was a way for me to, it's like a personality trait, basically. I mean, that's how yeah. we kind of filter the world through our personality traits, right? It's yeah. like, if you are an angry person, you're probably going to find the most angry perspective and news article you can possibly find and latch onto it. And that's your truth, right? But if you're a really positive person, you're probably going to see that, you know, kind of overlook it. And maybe you'll find another article that's like a really positive one. And that really resonates with you. So I think, yeah, we filter things in the outside world through our personality. Yeah, I think impartiality is very hard to execute in practice because to take all judgment out of a scenario almost means you don't care about it. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like it's you, you, yeah, you lose the passion for what you're talking about by trying to not care about who's right or wrong and be impartial. <laughs> it's like this kind of little, you know, moral conundrum inside oneself about how do I go about being truly impartial? But I, I, I agree. I think we filter the world through our personality, which is obviously built upon our core beliefs and I think as well one of the big things that I you know was working on and have been working on for years but really came up was that you know if I let the the external world outside of my body uh, control how angry I am or how happy I am then I'm not in control of my own life at all because my locus of control is outside of me so I'm not in control at all basically like everybody else is in control of me and so you know when I when the penny dropped through COVID of my anger and you know going down all of these rabbit holes which would be cons- considered conspiracies, although me and hundreds of thousands of doctors and scientists that have you know worked in these fields for years uh, are in those groups, but many people would say it was conspiracy theorists. But you know I realized I was like, okay, I need to take back control of my own state of being and decide what I let in like enter my physical body through my eyes, through my ears, you know, type thing and through my mouth because there's a lot of emotional eating going on because I was just despairing constantly. I was like, this is it. We're going to this is we're going to be slaves and I actually don't disagree with that long term. Um but um uh, you know with facial recognition software and and yeah. and all the tracking that they do of us and the cameras that are absolutely everywhere these days. But the point is that yeah, if I yeah, choose to let them control me. The outcome is going to suck for me, <laughs> and, yeah. and I, I'm not I'm not religious either. But I believe that you know, from a, maybe an entropy standpoint, so a scientific standpoint, that the world is always full of equal amounts of good and bad, and it can never it can never be swayed in one in either direction because then the entropy of the universe would basically explode. So, mm, <laughs> so it's like yeah. it's just where you orient your focus, right? But also you got to be careful not to be ignorant as well. 
Yeah, it's a tough balance for sure. And I mean, I can't say that I have the solution for not being so, you know, biased, I guess. Um, but it yeah, would really tricky. just, it would really just be like, you know, kind of self questioning. I mean, maybe even talking about it with people like actually debating it with people who don't agree with you. Like, I'm really lucky because at my school, there's like this culture of like debate. And so like, it'll just be like, you know, me and like three other of my friends, and we'll just be like staying up until like 3am. And we'll just be like debating all this stuff. And like, it's great, because all of us have such different perspectives. And so that's where you grow. And it sucks. And it hurts your ego. Because sometimes they'll say like, dude, that's not true at all. Like, what are you talking about? And then they present evidence and then you're like, oh shit, like I'm so dumb. Like, you know, it hurts, <laughs> but you got to be willing to, if you're really committed to the truth and you know, that was one of my core values that I chose when I was trying to rebuild myself from depression. It was one of my, one of my values is going to be the truth because look where not actually valuing the truth got me. It got me towards almost taking my life. So I need to really value it um, in the in the highest regard. I need to um, really value truth. And so I think that if we really take a step back and we're, we go into the debate with an open mind and we're like, okay, we're actually both looking for the same thing. We might just have different information. All right, let's get together and let's talk about it. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. I often think that when I think of like you know, the nutrition wars on Instagram where you've got, you know, your carnivore doctors and your vegan doctors and like everyone's like judging each other. And it's like actually 99% of what we're all doing is, is the same. Like as in we're <laughs> yeah. all just trying to get people healthier. We just, yeah. agree, we just disagree on this little, little part of our philosophy, um, but most of us are all in the same space. So I often yeah. think about like, and that's kind of the reason as well that I don't really have a, I'm not super dogmatic about a particular diet because I might be wrong one day. Like there might be a new study or the next generation of kids, their health is going to be different because they've been exposed to different things. Oof, and that scares that me. That diet might not be ideal for that group of people. Yeah. It, I, it's totally scary, right? Yeah. 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 No, I, I can't imagine what the next generation is going to look like. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> Well, that's the reason we're here, <laughs> to fix <Yeah>. that stuff. <laughs> it is, it is, it is, 100%. So, um, I'm curious what advice you would give to people, like in the context of return to human. How do they identify 
where they're not being superhuman, <laughs> uh, where they're not being very human-like in their life, and how do they begin a return to being human? Yeah, so, you know, for me, it was... So it's, it's complicated because when I, when I started writing the book again, I had no idea what that title meant. I was like, oh, Return to Human, sounds cool. I'm going to go with it, right? And then as I started mm-hmm. writing my book, it was like... It was like I would reread the document that I had and it was like, who the hell wrote this? This is trash. This is dogmatic BS. Like, how could I write this? Right. And so that was basically, in a sense, my process of becoming more human. It was like, I'm going to become more critical of myself. I'm not going to let myself get carried away by what I think I know. Um, And I'm going to be more critical of the world around me. I'm not just going to take what someone says at face value because that causes a lot of harm. Mm-hmm. And finally, you know, I, I end the book with a really important um, component of, of, this, of this whole thing that really got me out of my depression and it helped me and it's compassion. And it's, you know, it's a little bit cliche to say that we just need more compassion, but, you know, we do. And in my experience, if I hadn't been so desperate to make a change in my life. Um, but if I hadn't been so adamant about being compassion, being compassionate towards myself, whenever I would have failed, I would have, that's it. I'm done. Right. Like you, you're not open to things if you're not compassionate and you know, it's, it's tough to be compassionate when you're in a state of fight or flight, which is what we've been basically spoon fed this whole entire time. And so basically if your, if your house is on fire, you can't mow the lawn. Can't remember where I heard that from. I wish I could. I wish I could give credit to that person because that's a great quote. But like, if you are worried about you know your groceries having a little bit of COVID on them, and you have to like go out and basically be in a hazmat suit to get your groceries, right? You're not going to be worried about being compassionate to someone and hearing what they have to say and being all nice, right? You yeah. are you are in a state of this is dangerous. Like you're telling your amygdala, like we need a you know full force. This is a fear response. You know we need to basically put all our resources towards, towards the stress response. And so part of what my book also seeks to do is like, you know, I think it's chapter four where I talk about like immune health begins in the mind. And so that's where I think it starts. And it's not just immune health, it's all health, right? Like for me, it was like the starting point. It's like, if I didn't start to work through, you know, my trauma, my negative limiting beliefs and all that stuff. And I really made a commitment that I'm going to do whatever it takes to heal myself. Then I wouldn't have gotten very far. And so I think it's about, it's a story about compassion, but it's also about um, making sure that that stress and fear response, like you're controlling it through diet, through exercise, through sleep, through, you know, limiting EMF exposure to getting the correct light exposure, um, really in training your circadian rhythms correctly, all of these things that really do help. And a lot of the things, most of the things I talk about in my book are free. Um, there's only a few select ones that are like, okay, this supplement might be helpful in this case and, you know, that sort of stuff. But um, it's really, okay, how can we work on our physiology so that we're less likely to react negatively to someone? We're less emotionally volatile. And then how can we, you know, also work on the psychological side, which is, you know, the meditation, you know, um, all of this sort of stuff that can also help us become more compassionate people, basically. Yeah, no, I, I think that's beautiful, con- uh, like a beautiful concept because, yeah, compassion, kindness, you know, we've, we've all been in places where we believed a certain thing and, and, and through this process, I think we've looked at those people in the hazmat suits and been like, oh, look at this crazy idiot, you know, but it's like, 
if we reflect on our own life, we can probably pull something out where we were as equally as committed to a particular version of, of the truth that we were, you know, told, um, at, you know, just in a different context. And I think that um, relatability would help people develop compassion and be like, oh, I was there once. Like, yeah. and in sort of going through my own journey of managing my mental health and seeing psychologists and stuff. Now when I, uh, I'm connected to people or around people that are losing their shit or, or just having life go terribly, I'm just like, I get it. I was there. I was there. Yeah. You know, rather than being like, look at this idiot, get your shit together, mate. Like- <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. And that's where the compassion piece comes in. It's like you can't really listen and be open to new ideas if you are not, um, if you're not willing to be compassionate because they are probably in the same place that you're at you're, they just have a different opinion right it's like yeah. they're also really entrenched in their beliefs and they only believe what they believe and they're really really emotionally volatile they're in the same place as you like be compassionate for the fact that they are they are so similar to you the only thing that is different is just the words that they're saying you know like the beliefs that they have yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I think we're yeah, so incredibly similar. And one thing that um, keeps popping up in, you know, anybody who's being sort of philosophical about this, you know, whole COVID scenario is like, if there's anything that we, we do know from history, it's that humans forget really quickly. And <laughs> generations and generations and thousands of years of humans have done the same thing and responded in the same way and been just as divided, whether it be kings, queens, emperors, you know, um, whoever is invading your country to slaughter everybody, you know, like it's the narrative has always been pretty similar. It's I think this and you don't. So I win (laughs) or I'm going to kill you. Yeah, that's it. Right. And I think like, uh, but I do think I'm starting to be a little bit more hopeful now just because Every generation that I keep seeing, and this is this is funny because you know I'm like 21 years old and I'm getting into all this health stuff, right? And so when I first got to working as a health coach, that's why I'm here in Costa Rica. Um, they were like, like, what the hell is this? Like, you're 21 years old. First of all, what do you know about health? And second of all, what do you <laughs> care about health? You should be out partying and drinking your ass off until you know you wake up the next morning on the on the street, right? Like, this is what, that's they what I expect. was doing at 21. Well, that's what is expected, right? It's like, that's the expectation. But it's changing. And it really is because I have friends like myself, uh, that are really, really taking care of their health. And they're they that matters to them. And so every single generation is changing. And you know, Um, my girlfriend, she actually was tutoring like these like elementary school students and she was tutoring them on like wellness stuff. So like breathwork meditation, like stress, like how to cope with that. And they know so much. It's crazy. It's like, they know what, you know, I, I knew probably when I was like 15, right? It's like, they knew how, you know, they knew what coping mechanisms were. They knew what, like, you know, they know what their feelings are and they can name them and they're aware of them and they're conscious of them. So I think, Every generation is slowly starting to be a little bit more uh, conscious and aware of health. And so I think that's probably going to help us. I hope it does. Um, but I'm a little bit hopeful <laughs> for the future with that. So given that you brought up your age, so I often, I'm 32, right? I often am referred to as young in this space. I'm often, <laughs> if on summits, I'm usually the youngest speaker. Um, and the fact that I work with women, a lot of people say, Maddie, why do you work with women? You're, you're a guy. Mm. Like, why do you specialize in that? And I'm like, well, one, have you ever had a male doctor? Probably. <laughs> um, right. You know, um, <laughs> yeah. but, but even at 32, I'm often referred to as like wise for my age or like just got an old soul type of thing. So 
because I feel like I'm often having to prove myself to these um, people that call me, you know, young. You're yeah. young. You're, you know, much younger than me. So my question is, why should people listen to you? Why should people listen to me? Well, they they shouldn't. They shouldn't necessarily. Um, if something resonates that I say, then look it up and try it yourself. Right. Never take anything that I say as truth. Never take anything that anyone says as truth. And until you research it yourself, try it yourself. I'm huge on. Um, this is something I talk about with my clients a lot. N equals one experiment, right? You are your own experiment. And, and for people that aren't, um, you know, familiar with the scientific literature, N is just like the sample size, like the number of people in your study. And so N equals one is is you, is the study of how you respond to foods. It's the study of what helps you with sleep that may not help someone else. It's the study of everything that, you know, it's it's you can't really look at it from a study. Like you can't get that information from a study. You have to do your own journaling and really put in the work and so why should people listen to me well they shouldn't necessarily listen to me if you know if if something that I say sounds like it could be true or if something that I say sounds totally stupid then go and you know look it up yourself and see if it's true or if it's not true right it's um, I think that's how we should really approach everything but um, yeah I mean I think that's that's really all it comes down to is your your own personal experimentation of your health Um, and I think that's where medicine is going right I think that's where health is going is personalized medicine. That's becoming huge because, you know, like you said at the beginning, it's like a 17-year-old healthy male or female. I don't know why I said male, but 17-year-old. Um, they're much different in their health status than, you know, typically like the elderly. And so why is medicine so, you know, um, basically they, they like need to just give a blanket statement for everyone. Um, and that was true with the vaccines and that was true with, um, you know, that's true with the diet. Um, like the food pyramid and like my plate and all that stuff is like, let's give everyone a cookie cutter stuff. No, let's not do that because it doesn't work. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. we need to look at how you respond to something and we need to really, you know, there's, there's, of course there's common things we're human, but there's, yeah. there's a lot of individuality between people. And so we, we really, that's what we need to focus our attention on in my opinion. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing. And I think I, I also noticed the the shift in, um, the up, up and coming generation in regards to health and wellness. And they have um, in, I know I've got a friend of a friend who teaches meditation to primary school kids. Like this stuff is becoming normal and things like naming your emotions. Um, however, I have a potentially controversial thought, which is that, um, and this is like totally theoretical and rabbit hole stuff, but it's like if we make, if we make all the kids, the, up and, the next generation, emotionally together, compassionate and understanding, does that mean we no longer have any warriors? And I mean that are we more controllable from this place of peace and just Mm. acceptance of the horror of the world? And maybe we need – like I'm glad David David Goggins is on the front line (laughs) of war because he's broken (laughs) as fuck. Like he is so traumatized. And that's the kind of warriors we need on the battlefield. You know what I mean? (laughs) I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Uh, I'm a big fan of Dr. Jordan Peterson. And one thing that he says, and he says it a lot, is like, you should be a monster and then learn how to control it, right? I think what often passes off as, and this is totally him, right? This is not me. Like, I'm not taking credit for what I'm about to say. But, you know, what he says is you, what often passes off for, you know, nobility and like, you know, being a good person and, you know, um, basically all the virtues um, is really cowardice. And so what we need to do is we need to 
in my opinion, is, is make people strong, make people physically and mentally strong. And also, you know, of course, you need to pay attention to your emotions and take care of your mental health. But making people, it's better to be a, a warrior in a garden than a gardener at war, right? So we need to have people that are strong and capable and are willing to fight. And really, we all have this sort of like, I don't know if it's like, like this angry person inside of us, this like passionate human inside of us and a lot of people yeah because they want to be perceived as a nice guy they just kind of like smush it down but mm -hmm. it's there it's there and i think um and i think we should let it out in ways that are productive yeah i completely agree and i think yeah being able to ask access and i can only speak for men but women as well but um you know being able to access the the myriad of emotions that humans experience without judgment and, you know, without, you know, toxic masculinity judging you for, you know, your anger and aggression and all of the things that built the world that we live in, basically, <laughs> you know, those really masculine attributes, which isn't saying that love and kindness wouldn't produce the same or a better outcome. Right. It's just that, yeah, I think that we need to move away from this world of, um, you know, people disagreeing with if you disagree online you stop following them you know because it creates mm. these echo chambers of belief systems and, and i and i actually used to when i was on instagram i used to follow a heap of vegan doctors and, and stuff and and accounts and and i i actually think that being totally vegan is mostly a bad decision long term um but i would i would perpetually follow these people to be like exposing myself to to this kind of thing one building my own resilience and not being as dogmatic in my own beliefs but also open to the possibility that everything has elements of truth and i think practicing those that area of your emotional flexibility um is really important and i would encourage encourage everybody to start following people you you hate <laughs> like, because it'll make you stronger it'll make you stronger it'll make you smarter it'll make you a better person like it will even though yeah. sometimes you it's like a it's triggering sometimes because you're like ah this doesn't fit in with what i believe like you know you get angry but at the end of the day, you will be more better equipped to deal with people like that. And so like if you ever come across like like I've had like vegan clients here and, you know, they'll be like, oh, but red meat is cancerous. And they'll be like, you know, like maybe you should look into like this study here or like, you know, read up on this guy, you know, because I'll be better equipped to be like, hmm, I know the counter argument now because I've heard what they have to say. And so it's important yeah. to be. Yeah, it's important to hear what other people say that are outside of your echo chamber. Yeah, and I think it's it's really unless you end up on somebody else's phone, laptop or Netflix account, you totally forget the algorithm exists. And then when you accidentally open up somebody else's profile or you're at a friend's house and you're like, "Whoa, this looks so different to my YouTube." <laughs> right? And then you remember, yeah. "Oh, the algorithm is perfectly curating this based on every recorded click, um, mm -hmm. watch time, and then you real it's kind of this very brief reminder, but then you go back to your own phone, your own computer, and you're like, you totally think that your worldview is the one that everybody must must have, which is something I think we need to be more cognizant of is that that yeah, your perspective online is being curated, so you have to actively go out of your way to follow other opinions, other perspectives, um, and, and coming back to that compassion, it will probably make you more compassionate because you'll be, you'll be seeing how other people arrive at their conclusions and being like, right, I get how you got there now, you know? Yes, absolutely. And you know, something you said at the beginning, which is um, that people are really scared to talk about the opposing view of COVID, which, I mean, I don't know if I should call it opposing view. It's just another perspective of COVID, basically, um, is, is that 
you know, there are a lot of mainstream doctors that I followed that actually like towards the end of the pandemic, they were writing articles being very critical of their peers. And they were like, like one I will name is Dr. Peter Atia. He is like mainstream of the mainstream, like cutting edge, like very evidence based, yes. like one of the most ridiculously smart people I've ever heard talk. And yeah. he was one of the people like go read his articles on COVID. Like I really strongly recommend anyone listening, go read his articles on COVID, listen to his podcast episodes on it because he's incredibly balanced. Um, and we had it, we haven't gotten that balance from conventional um, medical advocates, basically, we, we've gotten a one size fits all narrative and a one size fits all treatment to, to the pandemic. And so I think, you know, people like him, they are what we need because, you know, he has a huge following and for him yeah. to stand up and it's sad that this has to happen, but like for him to stand up and say, tell the truth is like, is scary. And it, you know, it's, it's bravery. Like that's what bravery is because he wasn't willing to hide behind, you know, what was the normal traditional narrative. And he, you know, said what, what he said. And I think that's a, that's a good thing. We do need more of that. I agree. And that was very much the doctors and scientists that I was getting behind during the process. It's like, what has this particular professor that's done vaccine science for 30 or 40 years that's risking the lives of, of literally his family like because some of these things get to the point where you know some shady stuff happens behind the scenes they've got millions of dollars worth of legal fees and dr peter mcculloch is one as well it's been vocal and on joe rogan but many of these doctors and scientists they're up against multi-billion half trillion dollar pharmaceutical organizations that could bury them in legal fees and you know all of the possible situations so those people that stand up in the face of absolutely losing everything and not having you know not being like a trillionaire themselves in the process um you know they're the people that i really got behind because i'm like if this if this group of people which is actually quite large um have everything to lose deplatformed business closes you know being arrested in some instances like why are they so passionate about risking everything? Yeah, I mean, they have everything to lose. Like I've, you know, the people who I had on the back cover of my book that reviewed it, who, who were brave enough to say like, you know, I stand with this message. Um, a lot of them, or I shouldn't say a lot of them, but some of them lost their licenses because they were willing to, to say some of that stuff. And they were willing to, for example, like ivermectin. And I don't even want to like really get into that because, you know, I'm not an expert whether or not like it works or it doesn't work. I just know there's two sides to the, to the story, right? And so they, at the beginning, they started to get some, some data um, and, you know, some promising data. And they said, okay, well, since there's no treatment for this at the beginning, I'm going to try this. I'm going to treat my patients. And since there's, there's really no money to be made in that because it's a generic drug, then it's like, yeah. they're literally like, why would they say, why would they say that? Why would they come out and say that risking their licenses not for any profit, but just because of the welfare of their patients. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's 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 impressive that we. It's good to know because I, I when I was in the phase of like all modern modern medicine is bad and it's full of medical robots that just do what they're told and then you know paint within the color within the lines type thing. And mm -hmm. then this came along and it's yeah, all of these people stood up and I was like, oh, 
that's kind of restored my faith in medicine because it's like yeah. there is it is full of people not just not just one or two that we heard on Joe Rogan but thousands across the world if not millions um, and and I've signed documents and and things uh, petitions as part of scientists and doctors organizations which have had you know, 100,000 plus signatures on them in response to yeah. some of this stuff. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it actually reignited my hope. It's like, oh, there is some good guys in the system. This is great. <laughs> yeah, no. And I mean, even these conventional medicine advocates that I'm talking about that were willing to go against the narrative, some yeah. of them still got vaccinated. It's like, you don't have to choose one or the other. Like you could take your own choice and still like be critical yeah. about how the pandemic was handled and still you know, decide that there's some, you know, there's some good stuff with modern medicine. Like you, you don't have to choose. Yeah. Well, and, and based on the writing of your book and all the COVID research and, and well, just simply being a human that was around in the last couple of years, what, what is your ideas or two cents on the topic of how do we avoid being t- so manipulated and taken advantage of again? Oof. I know it's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think as much as, so there are some people that I follow on Instagram that are incredibly entrenched in what I call, quote unquote, the science. And so they're like the super vegan doctors that are, you know, like wear four masks and, you know, never go outside again, like never touch anyone again, like we're wearing masks forever. And, you know, I, I look at them and I'm just thinking to myself, like, like, wow. I mean, not only should we, not only should we like, I mean, we should listen to them like we've been talking about, like we should obviously like pay attention to what they're saying. Um, but I think in order for us to, to not get so entrenched and what I was, where I was going with that, um, was that these, these doctors kind of like shun people who try to take care of their own health. They not shun, but they, they are, they look down on people who try to take their health into their own hands, basically. Like I've seen that over and over. It's like, it's like, no, you're not a doctor. Like stop listening to biohacking podcasts. Stop listening. Actually, one of the ones that I, one of the posts that I saw was like, stop listening to Dr. Peter Atiyah's podcast about fixing your own health. Like this is bullshit. Like you should go to a doctor, right? They know way more than you. It's like, all right, like you don't know everything. Like don't pretend like you do either just because you have an MD next to your name. You're going to know a whole lot, but you're not going to know everything. And that and it pains me to see MDs who are like that, that are like, you know, you shouldn't take control of your own health. Um, and so to get back to your question, I think that in order for us to not be kind of taken advantage of and for us to not our emotional buttons not be pressed at basically at their wish, um, you know, the media and whatever else, whoever else they is. Right. Um, we need to be informed. We need to be well informed. And that goes back to, you know, kind of the whole purpose of, of my book is like be open to all perspectives and be informed um, because because it matters. Right. And like I was doing a lot, a lot, a lot of research on covid. And for me, it was like this is this is necessary. This is what's happening in my life. And a lot of like my peers were like, dude, what are you doing? Like wasting your time doing so much research like you should just, you know, do what you're told and, you know, just go along and this will be over soon if we all just, you know, get vaccinated and whatever. Right. And I was like, no, this is the most relevant thing in our lifetimes. Like you need to know what's happening, you know, and, and it's, it's not, that's not coming from a conspiracy side. That's coming from a, you know, practical, realistic side. It's like, you need to know what's happening. Um, yeah. You can't just like duck and cover and, you know, 
ask for the grown-ups to take care of you, right? Like the, the grown-up <laughs> experts aren't going to take care. You're an adult. You need to inform yourself. Like you're smart enough and you're capable enough. And everyone is. It's like, it's like a lot of the PhDs and like the MDs that, you know, that I'm talking about that like kind of are disappointed with people taking care of their own health. It's like they they don't think we're capable. <laughs> it's like they think normal people aren't intelligent or something. And it's like totally yeah. not the case. It's like we all are are very intelligent people. Like I, I would say like don't underestimate how smart someone is. Like really like never do because you're always going to be surprised at how much smarter they are than they seem. Well, and and going back to Jordan Peterson is that, and he often gets emotional when he talks about this, is that humans need such a small amount of encouragement to, to do yeah. well in the world. And I think yes. if you've got someone that's like confused about their health or overwhelmed on a health journey that's not going well and they yep. you know the drugs they're taking aren't, aren't working, all that person needs is just a little bit of encouragement to be like, you know, go and investigate it yourself. Listen to this. Take control of your own life. And, and humans do so much with such a little amount of encouragement to know that just someone to confirm that they're thinking in the right direction or moving in the right path. Um, and I think it's, yeah, really important that we champion people to explore their own health, listening to podcasts, listening to your show, my show, any show, reading your book, you know, and, and learning about themselves. Because I actually have a kind of opposite belief, which is, and I usually start all of my one-on-one -on -one client sessions with this, is that I, I've got a lot of stuff in my brain, but you are you and you've been you forever. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know more about you than you do. You know everything about you. And if, and if you don't know, we just haven't tapped into it yet. You know, that, yeah. like practice that intuition. Um, and, I, and I think we're, you know, that kind of dogmatic, scientistic point of view of like, I know more about you is a result of the modern era not being very intuitive, telling you that, you, yeah, you know, the things that you feel, your gut feelings, your gut reactions to things are not right because the science says or information says or the news says and we need to kind of reconnect with our inner soul, intuition, connection in order to be like really, really aware of what's happening in our body. Yeah, no. And I think, you know, this is what I love about the health coaching space is like health coaches are, you know, by definition, by design, we're not supposed to tell people like, do this, do that, don't eat this, don't eat that, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, we're supposed to uh, invoke information, not impart so much information, yeah. right? We're, we're supposed to be like guides of people's own intelligence and wisdom, mm -hmm. right? And so I, I, I love that. Yeah, and I agree. Yeah, no, I'm just, I feel the same about the health coaching space. It's like, because if you can Im like implore people to uncover a truth that they found, it's so much more empowering to execute on it than, yeah, because we've, we've all been told heaps of stuff that would probably change our lives that we didn't do anything with. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Sweet, man. Well, um, I guess we probably should get into the time we should wrap up because, you know, listeners have lives apparently. Um, <laughs> so where can everybody find your stuff online and your book? Yeah, so you can find my book on Amazon. Um, you can search up Return to Human and just make sure to click the little filter book so that you can find it. Um, as for my, you know, where you can find me on social media, you can find me on Instagram at live.damn.well and you can find my YouTube channel at livedamnwell. And that is pretty much it. Amazing. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. Um, and for everybody listening, if you've enjoyed this episode, take a screenshot, share it into your social media stories, tag everybody that's not deplatformed on that particular platform because <laughs> um, it's cool to know who's, who's listening in and what they're getting from it. So 
Um, and I guess to conclude this amazing conversation, what do you believe is one piece of health information that you wish more people knew about? Uh, trauma. Uh, I, I recently talked about this on my, on my Instagram. Uh, for me, when I started to learn that no supplement, no amount of, um, I guess, dietary dogma or going vegan or going animal-based or going keto... It wasn't going to solve what was really, really wrong with my health. Um, it might help a lot, but it wasn't really going to get to the root of, of a lot of things. Um, and I would strongly recommend you look into Dr. Gabor Mate's work on, on trauma because that's, he changed my life, and that is no exaggeration. Um, without him, there would be no, none of that compassion that I talked about uh, at the end of my book. Amazing. Yeah, Gabor Mate is phenomenal. He is. And thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate oh, it. You're more than welcome. Thanks for having me on yours. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. Thanks, Jorge. We'll uh, catch you really soon. Yeah, absolutely. See you, man. See ya. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.